Hello, you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. This is Karen Modokaitis, and you guys have been asking for a long time, and I know one of your favorites is when I do interviews with clients or former clients. And so I have one of my former clients who I worked with for about five years coming on today, and we're going to talk about why she was brave and started working with me as a coach and what the journey was like. We're going to go behind the scenes and what transformation really looks like. You hear me talk a lot about it, but it's always nice to hear from somebody who has been on the other side, who's experienced it. And so they get to share their own story. I often believe that the stories of other people's lives can give us insights and wisdom and nuggets into what's possible, if that's possible for them. I always like to ask the question of, well, what's possible for me? So I'm really excited to share Kate Wood with you all, and I will circle back after the interview. Kate Wood, it's so great (laughs) to see you. It's so good to see you, (laughs) Kren. So I'm so excited. And we were, for those of you guys listening, we were talking, trying to catch up off air, and it was too much good stuff. I was like, stop, we need to bring this on air. (laughs) So. Kate's been a, was a longtime client of mine. You guys love so much hearing about the case studies of clients and what happens in life coaching. And I truly also believe that we learn by other people's stories, right? There's the research, which I love because it, it lets us know if here's this pattern that we have as humans. And then there's the actual stories where we can get that inspiration, that insight, and also like really what it's like behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> of our lives. Like we can have great things and shit shows all at the same time. So Kate, welcome to my show. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. So exciting. (laughs) So I was thinking about this when we were prepping for today. How old are you now? 35. Oh my God. So old. (laughs) Well, but you came to me when you were 29. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember turning 30 with you. And it was like a whole thing to turn 30 with you. And that's kind of like my mile marker. I'm like, when did I start with her? Oh, yeah, 29. (laughs) Yeah, 29. And we worked together for like about five years. So, you know, that was an honor and a privilege to be able to walk by your side that time and watch you go through your transformation. So I'm really excited. So as we talk about this, what drew you to coaching in the first place? So I had a hard situation. I was with my partner at the time who I cared very deeply for. And I was really struggling in life. And I don't know if we were arguing or what, but he, there was a moment and he just looked at me and said, Kate, if you don't fix what's on the inside, we're not going to make it. And I remember thinking, well, (laughs) if I don't figure this out, I'm going to lose the love of my life. And at that point, I was not prepared to do that. I was like, no, like, okay, I need to go fix this. And I thought long and hard about who I would even ask for in my network for a recommendation, because I was pretty particular about what I think I wanted and what I wanted to experience in this relationship. And I actually reached out to a consultant for my current company that I had met when I first started working. And I just loved her. You meet those people and you just 
inherently trust them. And I said, Beth, I'm climbing a 14er. I need a guide and I need ropes to get to the top. What do you got? <laughs> and she recommended you. And our first, you know, intro 15 minutes was exactly what I needed because it wasn't mushy gushy, which would not have flown with me. And I just, I remember you asking, Corinne, you were like, why do you want to come here? Why, why do you want to do this work? And I literally said, I have to figure out why I don't like who I am. And it was kind of like took off from there. And the rest is history. Thank God. <laughs> you know, and that's a really good point because on the outside, would anyone think you would be a person that didn't like who you were? No. And in fact, I actually had, she's still one of my best friends to this day. When I told her I was seeing a life coach, she was like, why do you need to see a coach? She's like, of all of our people, of all of our friends, like you have the most to get you like the most put together. Like, why would you need to see somebody? And I literally kept thinking like duck on water, like smooth on the top, legs underneath, going, 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 going. So yeah, it's an interesting journey. (laughs) You never really know what's going on behind the scenes of someone's life. (laughs) I really appreciate you saying that because that's going to help so many people, right? With that struggle of how they're being perceived on the outside successful, right? Going to the right schools like you had and climbing the career ladder and having the love of your life. Like you had all the outside stuff, but there was still that inner turmoil. And that takes a lot of courage to, and being willing to be vulnerable. So yay you, right? (laughs) And to come and share that because that really helps so many other people, right? Because they're going to say, oh, I'm not the only one. And there can be that shame of, well, wait a second, there seems to be a disconnection for how I'm feeling on the inside and how people may be portraying me on the outside. Absolutely. And ironically, I, you know, my mother is a social worker. So I came from a family of therapy. And yet, even before that moment in my life, grew up very middle class, like there was sort of this implied narrative that if you ask for help, that means you're not good enough on your own to do this on your own. You're not strong enough, smart enough, whatever it is, you're not good enough to do this on your own. And that was a message that definitely resonated with me. And it wasn't until I was going to lose something so important to me that I decided I needed to change that narrative. And luckily enough for me, I had a boss at the time, fantastic woman, super charismatic and just kind of like one of those people that blazes through life. And she had had a coach at the time. And she said, look at race car drivers and look at celebrities. They have teams of people behind them. Why don't I get a team? And I was like, that's a really good point. And also we both grew up athletes. Like I know what it's like to have coaches throughout my entire life. And I was like, why wouldn't I have a coach to do this? This thing called life like that makes perfect sense. And so once I signed on, I was like all about the coaching and I talk all the time and everybody at my work and all of my friends know all the time, like just how much this matters to me. It actually became a source of pride and almost like bragging rights. Cause it was like, I take my life so seriously that yeah, of course I want a coach to guide me through this because how else do you get to be the best version of yourself? So it sort of became like bragging rights, which is interesting. <laughs> There's the famous movie Chariots of Fire about runners, right? In in the UK back in what, like the 20s or 30s. And back then, if you had a coach, you it, there was something wrong with you. Like you should have this God-given talent and be able to be really competitive because God has blessed you. The queen has blessed you. 
you should not need any coaching, right? And now while we totally accept coaching in the sports world, you know, and then in certain industries, absolutely, like it is, it is the thing to have a coach. And then for other people, it's like, oh, but I should do this. There's still that I should go it alone. If I, if I were smart enough, I work hard enough. Or I can't let other people know that I'm struggling on the inside because look, I have all the accolades on the outside, right? But we're not meant to go it alone. Not at all. That was one of the biggest lessons for me with our work was like, you need people, Kate. Like you need people. And then with Brene Brown's work, you learn the language, right? You learn the lexicon, belonging, connection, compassion, all all of the things. But yeah, we need tons of people on our side, whether that's, you know, professional coaches and healers, or it's friends that are in the trusted inner circle and know how to be there for you. But yeah, before life coaching, it was very much like, I got this, don't bother me. And now I think to myself, whenever I'm in crisis, I'm like, okay, where's my team? Literally, that's my first thought is like, where's my team? And who do I call first? (laughs) That is so huge, right? And that that's such like, as I was preparing for the interview with you today, I wanted to go back and look where you were when we first started, right? And it was so interesting because it was that idea you were like, I don't reach out to people. I don't ask for help, right? It's everything that you're talking about. And for you to transform yourself and be like, okay, where's my team? Who do I call? That's life-changing. Yeah. It was funny because... I have always been that friend that people come to and get advice from and talk to. And I would always receive and hold space, but never would I ever give back or give up because then God forbid anybody see that like, yeah, I might be human. I might be human. (laughs) And it's funny, actually, my current partner said something interesting to me recently. He said, your groups of friends kind of don't necessarily all know each other that well. And I realized it's because I really do love my one-on-one time with my friends because now I'm a very good sharer. <laughs> and I'm like, no, like I want like it, our individual time to share because life can be really, really hard. And the way I get through it now is by having those people in place that I can share with because as soon as I share, Corinne, oh my God, the stuff that comes back to me from them is just incredible. And you feel so less alone. <laughs> like... And it sounds so simple, but I'm telling you, like in our culture of, you know, death by rugged individualism, I think that that was like a quote on Brene's podcast. Like, it's tough. Like, we're indoctrinated from a very young age that we got this, but you kind of only got it when you've got everybody else with you. So I think about you again, 29, right? You're with this one partner and had more of a... I don't want to put like a label on it, but it was, you were very concerned about spending time with other people. You were really, right. You really withdrew a lot Mm -hmm. and then you go out and do stuff, but you withdrew a lot. And and again, what you're saying is exactly what you wrote about. Like, oh, I was really good at, I love giving, you know, giving advice, helping friends, but I didn't want to share. And now what's the contrast of your life of where it's at in terms of the people, how you live your day to day versus back then? I think back then, because I truly, really didn't like who I was, and I didn't think that I was a good person or good enough on the inside, that I had a lot of judgment and I externalized that shame onto other people. And so I was very critical of other people, very judgmental. 
And that was exhausting. That was exhausting to hold that armor up in social situations, to be that critical, to be that untouchable. That's a word that I've been recently kind of understanding that that's how I used to be, this this sort of like untouchable individual. And it was just exhausting. So I didn't really enjoy social situations back then. Like I was good at them, but they would drain me after the fact. And now once you figure out how to do the ongoing work, let me be very clear, it's never done, but of figuring out how to like yourself, fall in love with yourself and give yourself compassion and grace. When you can figure out how to do that, the world becomes a lot less scary and people become human with flaws that are doing the best that they can, as opposed to these people who are might be judging you, criticizing you, or perhaps putting you on a pedestal or whatever it is. Like all these stories, these gnarly, dark and twisty stories that are running around, they just kind of evaporate because you just realize like everybody's just like you and they're doing the best they can with what they have. That's a phrase that I still write on a daily basis in my journal that from our work together, because it is super easy to slip back into that like critical, judgmental, like, why can't this person just get it together? Like, just get it together. I have it together. Why can't you get it together? (laughs) But it's it's just not the way it is (laughs) as much as we like to fall back to those patterns. Well, yeah, because they're easy to fall back to, right? Because they're so well ingrained. But what's the cost to you to sit in that criticism or judgment of others? So high, so high. Like, think about the amount of energy that you have to like hold in your body just to be like, just be angry at someone. It's like, and I'm like, that's a lot of energy, dude. Like, you could you could use that energy to go work out. You could use that energy to like read some research for work, like read a new book. I mean, there's a lot you could do with that energy and that toxicity that sits in you. It's, and I'm a huge believer now in the mind body connection with health too. And <laughs> when I was preparing for this interview, Corinne, I kind of thought to myself, God, if I hadn't gone to see her all those years ago and I hadn't done this work, I probably would have had cancer by now. Like the amount of like anger and just shame that I had inside of me that just was there for the better part of almost 30 years. I I have no idea how that would have manifested. And I think about that on a daily basis, whenever I get back into the shame storm, because it happens all the time. It's like, where do you want to be? Where do you, and it's, this is so much easier said than done, by the way. Like it's, it's coming out really nicely and it doesn't go this nicely just so we're clear. But I mean, you got to get through it no matter how ugly or pretty you make it. Right. Well, and I appreciate you being so open and honest about like, it, it is a lot harder. And, and I've walked with you through a lot of the shit storms, right? And you've created and, and achieved your goals and created great success for yourself and created the results that you wanted. And there were a lot of like, I think about Brene's, you know, arena and that falling down moment face down on, you know, on the ground, and you had those. But you always got back up. Right? you always got back up and then you were able to create what you wanted. So whether it was, I think one of the most important things, being able to like yourself, right? Huge. And then your career goals, your personal goals, you know, your goals of where you live, like all of that, like you've really designed the life that you envisioned for yourself when you were back in college. Tell me where I'm wrong. (laughs) You are not wrong. (laughs) No, it's been a sort of a lucky, deliberate path. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. I call BS on the lucky. 
<laughs> Getting to there was Colorado was huge. <laughs> that that was huge. <laughs> well, you you turned right at the times to turn right, and what what brought you to Colorado wasn't the reason that you continue to be in Colorado, but it wasn't luck. Like, or you can like I always love Oprah's definition of luck is luck is preparation and opportunity that intersect, yes. right? Versus I'm, oh, this this thing just happened to you. Yeah. And I, I was also love the phrase opportunity dances with those on the dance floor. So I always keep that in mind as well, because you just got to make sure you're out there, whatever that means for you. So yeah. <laughs> and not that we have to dwell on the messy, but it's so important because like, and I know I can be, you know, listening to a book or a podcast or reading something going, wow. And it's so easy for us to put somebody on a pedestal right? And think, wow, they know so much more. They've got it all together. And then we know our insides and we compare our insides with their outsides. And I think it's so important. That's why for years I've, you know, with the show, my missions have been about like, let's like show unveil what, what really happens, right? We don't need to go into the details of it, but the fact that yes, there are falling down moments there where there are times, I mean, we, I coached you for five years, right? So where there are times that you maybe didn't have as much hope that you could have what you wanted. Oh, a, a million times. I still, to this day, it's like I question like every day and <laughs> where am I going? How am I going to get there? But yeah, I mean, we worked together for specifically on my career at, at certain points and to sort of a little bit of the origin story started in marketing in my mid twenties. And at the time there was a CMO in place. And I remember looking at her and thinking, I want to be her when I grow up. I want to be like that when I grow up. And so I kind of put a plan in place. I was like, okay, I'm going to make VP by this age, you know, executive director by this age and like, you know, CMO by this age. And I smashed a lot of those (laughs) records, which was great. But then we come to, I think I was 33 at the time, and I had been lobbying, advocating for the title of chief marketing officer for a couple of years now, which is what they coach you to do, right? It doesn't, you don't ask once, you ask several times. But I was defeated and I was disheartened and I was just kind of like, am I ever gonna, am I ever gonna get this? Um, am, I, am I ever gonna achieve this goal? And when I had let go of the attachment, finally, and you and I had worked a lot on this. And I remember my daily journaling was all about my creativity and my contribution, my creativity and my contribution, like let go of the results, let go of the titles, let go of all the things that life tells you you should do (laughs) and focus on your work and how that makes you feel. Because ultimately, that is your value and your value is intrinsic. It's not given to you by the outside world. And so we worked on that a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> around, around the time that I finally let it go and it stopped bothering me that I didn't have this title was, of course, when I got the call that, guess what? You're getting the title. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, I, don't, I, I was excited. But at the same time, I was like, it was kind of interesting because I was like, cool. I mean, that's cool. I'm glad I have it, but I didn't really care so much anymore. Like it was just this very interesting dynamic. And that is the universe's life's, whatever you believe in is the irony is 
when you can let go of the attachment, you usually get what you want. But letting go is is very, very difficult. So yeah. The pattern I see is the attachment often is that, oh, if I get this, then I'm going to have the validation that, see, I am therefore finally enough. I'm finally worthy. Like, oh, my boss actually sees that I can be a CMO and we're attached, attached, attached. And it's so external versus like when you're focusing on creativity and contribution. My question for you, Kate, is even when you didn't have the title, were you already doing the work of a CMO? Yeah. Were you already hurt in the position? Yeah. 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 And this is, I don't know if I can explain it really well, but this is this internal, like, I don't like, and I think I've told you this many times, I don't like fake it till you make it. I can be kind of okay with act as if, but it's like become the person that you think this outside force is going to create, you know, give you like just you become it instead of somebody giving you the wand, right? Which can come in a title, a relationship, money, whatever, all these external factors. Cause if somebody can give it, they can take it away. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus when you become that, it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course you're going to give me that. Like, uh, okay, I'm already doing the work. Like, you know, and then that's where I always say it's like when you get that external validation, it's like ice cream, like, or whatever your joy eat is ice cream. It's like a cookie. It's like something delicious. And you're like, oh, this is so yummy, but you didn't have to have it. I mean, certainly, you know, we celebrated and my sister got me balloons and it was like this awesome weekend. We went skiing in the mountains. It was like, I had a great time and it was so fun. So just like eating ice cream, it tastes really good going down. But even now, you know, this is several years later and I continually think about what is next. And I don't mean that from a resume perspective. I don't mean that from a title perspective. I got what I wanted and I beat, you know, the timelines I gave for myself. And sometimes my current partner actually says, he's like, so are we being CMOK right now? And that's his cue to me that I'm armoring up, that I'm, I'm armoring up behind this, uh-huh. this wall of, you know, external validation. <laughs> and I'm not being vulnerable or, or even compassionate or kind. And so it's almost a joke now. And I think about that because I'm like, okay, whatever is next is about, I kind of go back to this word contribution. Like, what am I contributing in this life? And that can be through charity work. It can be through whatever you want, but the title can also, or whatever it is you're chasing can also become the cross that you bear. So you have to be careful. Like it's the same, like your greatest strength is your greatest weakness, right? And I think about that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, that quote's going to be on my tombstone one day, but our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness. So whatever you're chasing, if you get it, celebrate, be joyful. It's amazing. But then what's behind all of that and what consists of all of that? And what have you built behind again, all of that? Because that's what got you there. And that's what matters. And that's what your friends and your family and your intimate partners, like that's what they care about. And I'm still learning this by the way, because I still very much believe sometimes that like, Oh, people see these things and you know, check, check, check. Okay. I've checked all the boxes. I know how to do that. And I'm fine. (laughs) But that's not the person that people signed up to be friends with. Like people didn't sign up to be Kate Wood's friend because she's CMO. Like, so I think about that a lot. And again, it's not easy, but I try to let the armor down as much as I possibly can. 
some days we're better at it than others. <laughs> but that's, that's like the truth. Like everybody thinks like, Oh, once I learn this, then all these problems will disappear. I'm like, Oh no, like you, you will get some of it ingrained. And then some of our, you know, old ways of being like to show up because they're so ingrained. Then when we get back to being aware and make that decision. I want to go back to when you talked about you had this goal to be CMO and, and you were lobbying for it. And and I remember, and I often say this, so when my clients have goals, you know, because we do goal work, obviously, in coaching, coaching is so much about forward movement, right? Like we talk a little bit about past stuff just to get an understanding, but we don't, that's, I guess, the difference between coaching and therapy, right? Like they're both very, very important to have, but we're, we're moving forward. And then what's some of the baggage that we can let go of that mm-hmm. doesn't serve us anymore. So I think about when with the CMO and I'm smiling really big because like, I remember <laughs> so upset and so mad about not getting the title. Like it was around the, the you know, it was the end of the year going into the new year and that yeah. vulnerability of, is he going to give it to me? Is he not? I'm deserving of it. Look at all this work. Right. Mm-hmm. And then not getting it. And when my clients don't get what they want, I'm always like, okay, but we're going to get there. Like focus on where you want to go. And a lot of times people want to off ramp. They're like, that's it. I'm out of here. Right. Like, or, and I'm like, but let's focus on where you want to go. And if it's time to turn right, we'll turn right. But focus on where you want to go. What's it like to be in that space? Because now it's easy to look back and go, well, of course, I got CMO. But in that space, when you don't get what you want, and you don't know if you'll get it, and you've been denied it, but then it's like, you know, I'm saying to you, okay, but this is the goal. We're going for it. We don't know what the duration is going to be. And we don't even know if it's going to be here. And I would always say, mm-hmm. if not this and something better, right? Better. We can do that. CMO, relationships, money, buying homes. Like those are all the arenas that I work with clients in, right? So. It was an ugly space. I almost, so I have two analogies or visions in my head. One is quicksand, right? The more you fight it, the more you're just going to sink. And then I don't know where this is from. It's got to be from a Disney movie, but like, you know, the enchanted forest, but it's like the gnarly enchanted forest and like the branches are coming out and they're like, they're starting to grab your arms and your legs. And the more you struggle, the more they grab you. That's what that was like. (laughs) There was just so much, truly what was underlying was there was a lot of sadness, a lot of fear of never, of never being able to be good enough. And a lot of shame that I had failed, right? That's underneath. But what I was experiencing and what the words I would have used would have been like, I'm pissed at this. I can't believe this. Like, I was just angry. And I was like, why isn't this mine? And I did want to give up and I wanted to throw temper tantrums. I think I probably did. But it's like, give up on what? Like, first of all, your clients and me, we don't give up on anything. We don't even know how to do that. (laughs) Like, that's not happening. So what is your next step? And I think through coaching with you, you helped me to go from a sprint to a marathon. And you were so calm in your knowing that we were going to get there. that I was like, okay, you've been with Corinne for years now. You trust her. She's never let you down. Like if she's this calm, almost like on a plane, right? And so you start to hit turbulence and you look at the flight attendants and if they're okay, then you're like, okay, we're fine. I was like, Corinne's, she's not worried. So I'm just going to keep looking at Corinne metaphorically. And at some point too, you just get exhausted feeling pissed, right? It's just not fun to be angry. So at some point you just have to let it go because I mean, 
life is short and laughing is fun and having fun with your coworkers is fun. It's just like, look at all the other things that I have for now while I'm in this interim space that I don't have what I want. What do I like about my career right now in this moment that is so much more amazing than what I used to have? And I was lucky enough to be in a situation where I had a lot of amazing things and still do in this career that I was able to say, okay, I can focus on this, 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 and this. And then we just, like we said, we kept focusing on sort of the marathon of what does it look like when we get me there? But it was ugly, man. (laughs) In the beginning, it was ugly. (laughs) But that's also the benefit of having a coach, right? Because I have that capacity to hold that space. Like, okay, you can cry. You can be mad. You can verbally vomit, right? Like I've got the container and I allow it. And that's the difference between friends because as friends, we're like, uh uh-oh, you know, it's not as clear of what's my role as a friend and not understanding, just allowing people to have the space to have the emotions like we, and I can go in to fix it, you know, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, like I can jump in to fix it in a nanosecond, you know, as a coach, like, I don't know what it is, but like I come into this chair and I sit here and I just, I hold space. That is my training. That is the work I do. And then the other part too is, is that I allow the messy, right? Like that's part of the coaching process. So you have that space and there was that built up trust over time where it was like, I remember you would apologize. I think in the beginning, like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, this is the place you do this. This is the place like you get all messy, you declutter, you get it all out, you verbally vomit so that we can clear it all out. So you can go back out into the world. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly as women, we're taught so many things, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And so much of it is, you know, don't use your voice. Don't, don't be too loud. Don't be too aggressive. Certainly never criticize anybody. Don't get angry. All of the don'ts, right? And so learning how to be vulnerable, even with a professional is difficult. But I'd like to say at some point we got to a, (laughs) we got to a very open space where I stopped apologizing, but yeah, like it is definitely a process for sure. But everything that you pick up in coaching, you also get to then translate to your, all the other arenas. So not apologizing. It's it's like not using qualifiers. Do that in meetings, like do that in meetings. They're transferable skill sets. Like this is a safe place. It's like to come in and play with it and go, it's like your laboratory. Like, okay, I'm going to test this out. Does this really work? Or what often happens is, you know, there's so much shame when my clients come to work with me and then we work on who are the people who've earned the right to hear your story? Who are the people on your team? And again, these are people who would be successful, who may be married, you know, who have the people there and they have so much shame because they go, you're the only person that I can tell this to. Mm. And And they feel really sad. And I'm like, but that's okay. When we start there and then they start to realize as they practice willing to be vulnerable, right? Because that's the thing. We're we're taught not to be vulnerable. And even like in relationships, coaching a client right now, and it's like, be who you are. Because if you're being who you think he wants you to be, then he's not going to really know who you are. And he's going to like something else, maybe or maybe not. And then you're gonna have this false relationship, like be who you are, like let people see you. So I get the privilege where people let themselves be seen by me, which then practices it. So then they go, Oh, it's uncomfortable. It's scary, but I've done it. And then they, their world starts to expand and they have more people. Like when I think about you at 29, you had, it was you and your partner, right? And you had this little life and you had some friends 
but it, but then you were really concerned about how much external energy. And now I look at you with this big life, right? All these people, connections, you have teams of people that you can go and be seen with. I remember during our coaching, Glennon Doyle's book, I think it was either Love Warrior or Carry On Warrior. And she has a line in there that says, I never made any friends by talking about how great my life was. I only made friends by showing the dirt. And mm-hmm. I grew up with this phrase, we'll never air your dirty laundry, like most of us have. And so mm-hmm. kind of seeing that, I just, it stuck with me so much. And even to the state, so you know, last night, I posted something on social media. I'm super careful with social, have been for a very long time. And even when I post on social to this day, because I generally post positive things, but I also understand how social is received, the words that I use in my post, I try to make very authentic to the people, the place, and what that meant to me so that it's not this flippant post about how great my life is. Because I am excited about my life mm-hmm. and the fun things I do, and I do want to share them and I want to get excited about them. But I also want people to know, and no one's probably looking at that that deliberately or even thinking that, and that's okay because it's about how I show up in the world. But I want that to come from an authentic, genuine place. I don't want it to come from this external validation place. Once you get into that, there is no grounding. There is no roots. There's just, it just feels yucky. You can feel it. And so being that thoughtful and being that deliberate, and even you keep mentioning the people that have earned the right to hear your story. I was recently told also that I can be somewhat selective in the people that I I choose to have around me. And it was kind of said in a way, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, like I, I love everybody and I'm not that way. I'm very careful about who I bring into my inner circle. That doesn't mean I can't be the life of the party or have fun at a cocktail hour pre COVID, but it does mean that I am looking at you as a whole human and trying to see, is this someone that can be on my team and do I want to be on their team? It's certainly not that deliberate by any means. It's not even that probably in my prefrontal cortex, but yeah, over time, like the people in your network, it's, it's your family. I use that word family a lot, even in my social posts, because it means so much to me to come from a place of when you met me at 29, super independent, you know, wasn't even, to be honest, that close with my own biological family at that time and didn't really consider any friends to be family. Like it's a complete 180 now because I do realize how much we need people, but it's certainly the right people. And being careful of that is, I think, something that I'll carry with me for a very long time. Well, and it's huge because like we can either just remember, I'm sure I've used this metaphor with you, but the elevator, right? And like as you go through your own involvement, right? So even though there was this idea of you being alone, but let's put you, you know, now you live in Colorado, but before before you and I worked together, you lived in New York. So you knew a lot of people. There were the Sunday brunches. There was all that stuff. So you had all these people in the elevator because it was like, oh, let's go do this. Great. Let's go do it. And you're filling up time and space, Mm -hmm. but not really going, is this something I want to do? Right. It's like, this is just, I'm just going to get on this train and go. So, or get on this elevator and rise up. Right. So this concept for those of you listening is, when you first start working with me, where you have all these people in your elevator, they just kind of collected. 
and it's kind of smush, maybe like sardines. And as you go through this experience, people start to get off the elevator and you and gets really vulnerable because you're like, um, okay, I'm all by myself. And there was a point you were all by yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like in, in your own evolution with me, it wasn't like you came to me and you want to have this better relationship with your partner and then live happily ever after. I mean, that was maybe the intent, but that's not what happened. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> And I remember that and that vulnerability and being there by yourself. And then that was probably, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, is where that relationship with your family and your parents and your sister got even more connected, right? Where they came in and were totally on your team and supported you and loved you when you were physically alone, right? So this was probably the single greatest teaching moment and probably the single hardest thing I've ever had to do. So the partner that we've been talking about, it was my ex-fiance. And when I made this decision to turn right, as we say, and we mutually parted ways, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I moved to Denver knowing nobody, no family, no friends. I worked from home super isolated, didn't have a dog to even like have something to get you out to, to be social. And my sister and I had never been close to the point where it bothered my mother. She thought she did something wrong because Chrissy and I were just never that close. And I remember going through that whole process. The only people that I felt comfortable talking to really at that point, because of all of the stuff we've already talked about was my family and my sister showed up time and time and time again as my sister, as my best friend, as anything I needed. She never had any judgment. I didn't even know what that felt like, Corinne, until she showed it to me because as much as I love my mom and dad, they have high expectations for me. They have standards. So when I would fall down throughout that time and I would do something disappointing or I would behave in a way that wasn't becoming, as we like to say, they would be disappointed. Chrissy never did that. And she showed me what it was like to hold space and to not judge someone. And to this day, she's still my best friend. We live together. <laughs> like she's probably the most important person in my life, which is insane because we only got there through the hardest time of my life. So as Glennon Doyle says, like if I hadn't fallen down, and I hadn't made that decision to change my life, I would not have the relationship with my sister, with my parents. And I certainly wouldn't have the ripple effect with all of the friends that I now have with those deep relationships because of how Chrissy modeled what that was like for me, which is just, it's crazy to really see the hardest and the ugliest situation in your life can truly, 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 as cheesy as it sounds, make the best things happen in your life down the road. Well, but for the people listening, and if you're listening to the show, you're people that are willing to do the work, right? You're not because this there's no fairy tale, there's no magic wand, there's no tips and tricks. But so you're willing you to walk it, through and know. do this work. <laughs> <laughs> both looking. But so Kate, your example is, yeah, you went through this hard time, but you continue to do the work and you're still doing the work. Like, right? We're not working together, but you're still doing your work, journaling, being deliberate reflecting like all of these processes, right? Practicing being courageous and being vulnerable and sharing and being willing to hear feedback from your partner. That's all doing the work. That's all doing the work. And so 
this elevator is you were alone. I remember like in, in holding that space for you at that time. And you moved to this new city and didn't know anybody and your colleagues all work in New York or in other parts of the country. Right. And now I look at you and like, I would always say, but when you, as you continue to rise up and evolve to the best version of yourself of where we are now, right? Like, and when I say best version, it doesn't mean like, you know, you're better than others, but like the essence of who you are, your essence. I always say that when you get to that top of the elevator at this point in your life, because there's always more to go, it's like being in a boutique store. It's like being in a Louis Vuitton store, right? Like they're all really expensive, but there's not a whole lot of stuff in there, Uh right? Regardless regardless of whether you're, what you have judgments about those kind of purses or not, but it's that idea of, you know, you could be at, you know, like a Walmart or a TJ Maxx, again, no judgment, but lots of stuff that you've got Mm -hmm. to go through to then you get to this place where you have a curated group of people that are in your life. And that sounds like where you're at these days. Oh yeah. 100%. And it's funny that you say that because I actually only shop in boutiques too, just because I can't stand the clutter. And I'm like, that's too many decisions. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that elevator metaphor Every time I use it too with any of my friends or coworkers, there's like the light bulb moment, their eyes pop and they're like, oh yeah. And now when I think about the relationships that I try to form, I generally try to find people as obsessed with evolution as I am. Because as I was preparing for this interview, the question was, I think, what next? And, and I was like, well, crap, what next? <laughs> and, two, <laughs> and two things came to mind. One is Glennon Doyle's do the next right thing, like do the next right thing. And particularly in this time of COVID where people are facing so many different types of struggles, that has been tremendously helpful for me because the amount of anxiety and the way the anxiety has manifested for me still into 2021 is very interesting and it's scary at times. And so I just keep saying, just do the next right thing. That was my one answer. And then the next answer was just keep evolving. And I've, you know, you you talk to your friends and you kind of get some feedback. And I've been called a seeker by some of my friends. And then I had a coworker of mine, our COO, and we were doing high lows at the end of one of our offsites, which is like you go through the day and you say you're high for the day, you're low. And one of his highs was my coaching. And my evolution, because I, again, like I was bragging about life coaching and all the work we do together and, and how it's made me a better person. And so I talked about it a lot. And he was just like, to see Kate work so hard at her own self evolution is incredible and it's inspiring. And so I think about that because I'm like, oh yeah, like I guess that is what I'm obsessed with is evolution. It's, it's not the next level. It's not the next title. It's not, you know, the next salary. It's or the house or the car or whatever. It's that intrinsic evolution. What's the next level that I can get to there? And I've been doing more and more spiritual work this year. And I joked with my girlfriends. They asked me, I went to Peonia, which is where we do some of our work, which is a mountain town in Colorado. And my girlfriends were like, well, how was Peonia? How was Peonia? And I was like, spiritual work is like going to the next level of life in the video game. <laughs> And that's, I I think that everybody that works with you, Corinne, is that person though. There's something inside of them that knows that there is more, that there is a better life to be had. 
So let me figure out how to do that with somebody that knows the trail. Thank you. It's an honor to walk with that trail with you. I've written all these notes, but one of the things that comes to mind, you know, I've always promised you that you won't be able to get rid of shame. Like, okay, we can do this work. And it's not that shame just disappears. Right. But I I look at you now and where you are and where you've been. And I'm like, damn, she has shame resilience, right? You can speak it. You understand it. You can name it. You can, you know, have your tantrums, your, you know, all the crying, all the mess and you move through it. So you have arrived. You have shame resilience. <laughs> it's an ongoing practice. Right? It's like yoga. Just because you have that great, you know, practice doesn't mean you don't get back on the mat the next day because there's more practice to be done. But you have shame resilience. I mean, that is huge, right? To be able to you talk about shame from the woman who, when she was 29, didn't really want to talk about it, right? Didn't even and know didn't what it meant. Know I remember you said that word to me and I was like, what yeah. the hell is that? I was like, shame, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, Catholic guilt, I get, but like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. And we can be sitting here and you can be laughing and you can have this glorious life that you love. And, and there's still messes, right? Like I always say, like, I live an amazing life and there's shit shows everywhere. I mean, that's the truth of it. Shit that's the truth of it. So since <laughs> <laughs> you've heard me say, so Brene's research has always talked about, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, I'm sure of in order to feel the good feelings, you have to be willing to feel the bad feelings, right? And so that's your embracing like shame and fear and all of that, that we were talking about or anxiety, like, and even talking about like you have anxiety now, it doesn't mean that you do this work and you don't. So thank you for sharing that. A new part that she's correlating in her research that I've also been able to contextualize in my own life is brave leaders have the ability to hold great tension. So you can have the great aspects of your life and also the problems of your life all at the same, you know, it's and then that's what happens. Like, I think when we go on this personal evolution, at least I did when I was in the very beginning, like, oh, once I get there, it's all going to be great. Blue drinks, beaches, sunshine, no storms, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, there are storms. So it's kind of like when you were, you know, when you would go through stuff, I'm like, okay, of course this is happening. And we're going to get through it. And you can still go after what you want. Something you just said reminded me of our work together. It was like, of course, this is happening. And you can continue. And I, so I use this analogy a lot in work. But when a baby falls down, mom starts laughing immediately, right? Because the baby is, uh-huh. doesn't actually know what happened. It's just going to mirror your emotion. So if mom starts laughing, the baby doesn't realize that it fell down. It might be hurting right now. But if mom looks uh-huh. distraught, baby starts crying. And your ability to just be like, of course, this is happening. Okay, let's what do we get? And I'm like, what are we gonna do about it? And I'm like, Oh, like, again, flight attendant is not panicking. Okay, like, no, let's put a plan in place. Let's move forward. So yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. <laughs> well, well done, Miss Kate, you've worked really hard. And I'm really, really happy for you. This is a, your transformation where you want to go where you are. And it is, it's always an ongoing evolution because we're, and I love the baby thing. Cause I've always would talk about like, just because a baby's being carried doesn't mean they don't want to learn how to stand or walk or do it themselves. Right. So they have these prime lives. And, and then as teenagers, even though like our lives are pretty well taken care of for us, there's still that need to leave the house, leave the nest. Like there's always this internal like evolution that's hardwired within us. And the other thing that I see within you is even when you're talking about your social media is not only your evolution, but your need and desire to be authentic, be you, right? 
the woman who came to me who didn't like who she was on the inside, who is so committed to who being who she is now, that's the transformation. Thank wow. You. <laughs> I will say that I remember doing the values work with you and authenticity was on the list. But as I have thought about my next move, right? And we've all reflected this past year with COVID on on our lives in very different ways. But that word authenticity keeps coming up for me. And I'm starting to realize that it is my North Star. And if that is what people get out of this work is their North Star, whatever that is for them, then we're going to have a world that is a much kinder, gentler, loving place for sure. We could all use more of that. We can yeah. all use more of that. <laughs> all right, my dear. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That was awesome. I love how she has so transformed herself where here was a woman who, when she came to me at 29, didn't want to share with other people the messes of her life and how she's willing to put herself out on the show and share her story and her messes with all of you. And she was able to create the results that she wanted, right? So just in case we weren't clear, she did eventually, and she is a CMO, and I think she did say that at the end. So she was able to get the job that she wanted. We started as a director of marketing. She was able to increase her income over time, and she was able to meet those goals, as well as brave the dating world and have those transitions. And Anytime we start something new, anytime, even if it's an arena that we're experienced at, there's always that vulnerability. It's like, oh, do I really want to go do this? Like that stomach that drops. And we so often can give up on ourselves or tell ourselves lies of like, that's okay. I don't want to do it and settle. It takes a lot of courage to go out there and really pursue what you want. And it takes courage to allow for the messiness, for the emotions to come up, for allow for the courage to share your frustrations or your shame stories, because that's part of your process of healing so that you can move forward. It's really, really significant in your own transformation. So I'm really grateful that Kate came on and shared her story with you. She's had so many wins. And, you know, when you go through a process of truly transforming, one is it takes time. Like I always would want to like walk in, go to physical therapist, Michael, fix my back so that I never have to come back. You know, use your magic hands and fix my back. That's not the way it works. He can diagnose the problem. He can work with me on strengthening things that I need to say. And then what are the things that I do all the time? And my transformation can happen over time. Hers happened as well. And there were many falling down moments. And then as she shared with you the gifts, the connections with her family, with her sister, her parents, the people now that she has in her lives, the work that she gets to do. I say this so often, and I say it so often, one, to remind me, and even though I know it in my bones now, and also because at one time in my life, I was so resistant to it, I didn't want it to be. It takes a lot of courage to live this thing we call life. And we all have it. And there are times that we may need to dial it up more. And there's times that we need to fill ourselves up so that we can go back out and be courageous. Sometimes filling ourselves up is 
making sure we sleep, connecting with people that we love, having our support squad, doing, you know, for me, it's doing a lot of paint by numbers or puzzling. I'm going to learn how to hand letter. There's different things. I'm using arts and crafts to fill me up so that I can go back and be brave. Sometimes being brave is reaching out to a friend that you know that's struggling and you don't want to impose and you just want to send them a text that can be brave or, you know, sending a friend a gift or going and asking for what you want at your job, asking to be promoted, asking to increase your comp. Those can be brave things. Telling somebody you like them, not sure if they, you know, they're going to like you back. There's all examples of being brave. We all need this courage to live this thing called life. All right. I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR. And then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.